It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your one? Anybody in my family? No. Welcome back, y'all. Jay Hicks with the Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast on a Sunday night, April the 24th. Just a few short days away from the NFL draft, which means our resident draft expert, Mark Hicks, is back for yet another edition of the Mark Draft. Mark Hicks is on the line. How are you doing today, cousin? What's going on, cousin? How are you feeling? I am... Uh, I'm pretty well, you know what I'm saying? I'm, uh, you know, the Browns have a new quarterback. So if we're talking football, uh, I'm feeling pretty damn good. And Tom Brady came out of retirement since the last time I talked, uh, you know, NFL, I think. I don't even know if I did the podcast about Deshaun Watson. I don't even know if Brady was back yet by that point. But, um, right. but yeah, just the fact that uh, Tom is back and the Browns have a quarterback it's it's pretty sweet um you know obviously the situation with deshaun watson is pretty sticky and i think we all know that and it's not you know something that anybody's really uh excited about that situation the off the field part of it but strictly speaking from an on the field perspective it's pretty tremendous that the browns have right. a quarterback of that caliber um if you're a browns fan that is uh That's we're right. here to talk about the nfl draft and mark would you believe this is the eighth year of the Mark draft? That's amazing, man. The eighth Everybody. year, man. Like, like the website's been around. This is the 10 year anniversary of hip hop sports support. Y'all. I don't know if y'all know this, but, uh, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It'll be 10 years in, in August specifically. Um, so it's hard to believe that, that we've been around this long, but yeah, we, we're still hanging on by, by a thread. Uh, <laughs> It's 10 years and it's um, and the podcast, I believe, has been around for nine years. I think it'll be nine years in November for the podcast specifically, if, if I if I recall correctly. And we've been doing the Mark draft for eight years. And so back in 2014, we were debating the merits of Jadevian Clowney being the number one overall pick in the draft and whether or not Johnny Manziel was going to flame out in the NFL. In- incidentally, both of them ended up as Cleveland Browns at one point in their careers. Isn't that crazy? That's yeah. crazy. It is. I mean, leave it to the Browns. They got Odell Beckham. They got RG3. 
It's just it's just it's just amazing who who's wound up in Cleveland at one point or another. Um, very few of them have worked out. <laughs> but it appears though that maybe Clowney will come back for another season. I don't know. Uh, maybe the fact that the Browns are in need of another pass rusher defensive end is something that we talk about this evening. Um, we have a lot to discuss. Uh, first of all, you know where to find us. HipHopSportsSupport.com is the website. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Rate the podcast. Leave a comment on iTunes or whatever it is you're listening. Um, and please subscribe. I, I don't say that enough uh, throughout these last eight years. So please do that for us. Uh, please go ahead and uh, give us any type of positive rating that you have. Just positive ratings only, please. We don't we don't want to hear any of that negative stuff. Um <laughs> And then also, uh, you know, we're on Twitter, hip- uh, twitter.com slash HHS report. Same with Facebook. We are found there as well. So, uh, and then you can find Mark Hicks on Twitter at Remark. Is it Remark 1972? Uh, I believe that's correct. Man, yeah. As I, haven't, I haven't looked at my uh, Twitter handle for your, so long. You haven't looked at your I own Twitter handle in so long. Yeah. I believe it's <laughs> Remark 1972. Um <laughs> For for the now uh, fifty year old, excuse me, fifty years young Mark Hicks, uh, as of that. this past February, happy belated uh, yes, on sir. the podcast. And so, yeah, man, eight years in the books. And so, for those of you who are just joining us for the very first time, what do we do here on the Mark Draft? Well, it's it's pretty simple, really. We know that mock drafts. There's there's no good information in mock drafts. It's really uh, people just doing a lot of speculating and trying to push their own narratives and trying to drive uh, certain players up and down the draft board and whatever it's nonsense and people buy into it and it's just this feeder system like the more people read mocks the more people create mocks and then those new mocks that are created just fuel the rumor mill which then actually can have an impact on what front offices are saying and doing it's it's insane it doesn't make any sense so what we decide to do is we have mark hicks come on tell us what each team should do with their pick not what they will do but what they should do with their draft pick and for the purpose of the nfl draft we limit it to the top 10, and then we always manage to to slide in and, and give some uh, commentaries and running dialogue on the Cleveland Browns, who usually end up picking in the top 10 anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. However, this year's a little bit different, and, uh, and we're going to talk about all that this evening, but we're going to lead off with a team that uh, we lead off with quite a bit on the Mark Draft. It seems like the Jacksonville Jaguars have the number one pick in the NFL Draft, which is, uh, again, this Thursday. Uh, your brother, my cousin Vince Hicks, will be in attendance uh, in Vegas along with our other cousin Mike at at the draft. Um, what's fascinating about this draft, Mark, is that this is like the one year that you would think it should be in New York City because the two New York teams each have two top ten picks. Correct. And is the draft in New York at Radio City Music oh. Hall? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's in freaking Las Vegas. But. <laughs> What they just can't get right. New York just can't get right, man. But can't get right, man. You know, so we had you actually cover the draft from from going to the draft in Chicago back in 2015, and yes, uh, sir. You, you provided some special coverage for that. So maybe we'll have to send Vince and Mike out. They're, they'll be they'll be in the streets. We know that. We know that. They definitely will be in the streets. <laughs> they'll be in the streets, uh, and maybe we'll have them report back to us on on some of their findings from the draft. But uh, the Jags have the top pick. This is a 13, excuse me, a 3 and 14, let me make that very clear, a 3 and 14 football team mm-hmm. that hired and fired Urban Meyer like it was nothing. Uh I did not see the Urban Meyer tenure going the way that it went. Uh and it went straight into the gutter. 
Uh, I don't know how Urban was that bad. I don't know how somebody that's that good at coaching college kids is that bad at coaching professionals. Like, I don't know how you manage to do that. Like, just because you dominate in collegiate football doesn't mean that you're going to dominate on the NFL level. I just don't understand how you can be an utter catastrophe like Urban Meyer was and be as good as he was. I just think it comes down to just, you know, just personalities. You know, when you are... And and you know how urban is. Urban can be very abrasive and con- and condescending, especially to his players. Um, you can do that on a college level because you're dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. But you're dealing with with grown men who's in their 30s. Some of them are in their 40s. You know what I'm saying? You you you're dealing with older veterans, people who have been professionals for years. And there, and just like in the professional workplace, no matter what you're doing, whether it's at the post office or on a football field, you, your boss can only come to you some type of way. And if and if you know, at some point, one at some point or another, you know, you just can't continue to talk to grown men like that. And and especially when you become a, a professional, it comes down to uh, the business of dealing with people. And if you are not a people person. You can only go so far. I mean, X's and O's is great, especially when it comes to coaching. But it's your relationships with people that's going to keep you in your position, whether it's whether it's the front office, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the players, whether it's the fans. I mean, it's, it's just come down to a point where you have to be able to regulate that. And you you're not the overlord like he was in Columbus or any other of his uh uh, collegiate stops. I mean, this is this is the NFL, and NFL, as we all know, stands for not for long. And if you continue to go in a, in a simple direct in a in a negative direction when it comes to dealing with people, you're not going to be long for that position. I'm just shocked at the fact that Jacksonville pulled the trigger so fast. Um, not yeah, the fact they, that they, they pulled the trigger. It, all right, pulled it so fast. Yeah, they. Uh, they uh, <laughs> Urban Urban was blindfolded with a cigarette in his mouth <laughs> when they pulled that trigger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man exactly um so they went they, you know under urban they went three and 14 they miraculously beat the indianapolis colts on the, on the last day of the season and the colts were like gunning for a playoff spot the jags were tanking i don't even know that the jags i'm not entirely sure that they even had the number one pick locked up and yet no they, they didn't they still went out and somehow beat the colts i mean it was so bad <laughs> that it got carson wentz fired um, Correct, <laughs> and so you know, their their big thing last year was was Trevor Lawrence. Of course, you know they they had they so Jacksonville has the number one pick two consecutive years. Let's start with that. That's not something that you see very frequently. Uh, that's only happened, I believe, six times in NFL history where a team right. has had the number one overall pick in consecutive years. Uh, it looks like they're joining who the Philadelphia Eagles from the nineteen thirties. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the 70s. Uh, and then again in the 80s, actually. They actually drafted Bo Jackson and Vinny Testaverde in back-to-back years. I did not know that. Wow. And then in 1986 and 87, and then Bo Jackson said he'd rather play baseball than play in Tampa. And then he <laughs> left, and he never played for the Bucs. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. The Bengals did it in 94 and 95. And yep. then, of course, the Browns did it twice in 99 and 2000, as we're familiar with. And they did it again Correct. just five years ago in, during the 1-31 and 31 Hugh Jackson era with uh, selecting Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield in consecutive drafts. Ooh. So the pattern that we see here, Mark, is teams selecting 
their quarterback of the future in one of these drafts, and then in the other, a cornerstone defensive player. That's been the pattern. That's We know that Jacksonville's not going to draft a quarterback this year. However, I should point out that Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, did not exactly wow me last year. And granted, it was a mess. It was a train wreck with, uh, with Urban Meyer and that whole situation being what it was. But Trevor Lawrence didn't really flash a lot to me, even in spite of that. And we're talking 3,600 yards, 12 touchdowns, and 17 interceptions. It, I mean, if, if Trevor Lawrence was the generational talent that everybody said that he was, correct, you would think that he would have had a little more success. I mean, am I crazy? I don't know. And so the no. point is, so, you know, Urban's gone. They, they actually hired Doug Peterson. And then the Jags started blowing money fast like Rick Ross in free agency. <laughs> they gave some <laughs> insane contract to Christian Kirk that was uh, so lucrative that it really... Th- threw off the entire wide receiver market. Now wide yes, receiver is the highest paid position in football outside of quarterback. Correct. Um, they, they got the guard, Brandon Sheriff. They, they brought him in. They brought in Evan Ingram. They hired Doug Peterson, former Super Bowl champion with the Philadelphia Eagles as head coach. And, um, and, 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 and even though it looks like they're going to go defense, maybe, because that's what the history has told us that they do in this situation, their offense was actually worse than their defense. Um, yes. So where do you have them going, Mark? Uh, a lot of people have them going defense at the top of the draft, but if you're running the Jags, what's the first pick? Well, here's the here's deal with Jacksonville. Um, they have so many holes. It really, they really can't go wrong in picking a position because it, I'm quite sure at this point they pretty much need everything. Um, from my standpoint, though, and with a lot of others, I mean, defensively is probably the easiest way that they can get better. Um even if you draft an offensive player, for example, with that number one pick, or you trade down and you get multiple picks and you try to load up on offense, you're still going to have a bunch of rookies with a quarterback who had a subpar rookie year, and you're trying to cre- uh, go with a whole new coaching staff, a whole new offensive system, uh, and basically send them out there and then try to win some football games. I, I, I think that's going to be easier said than done. So uh, the, the easiest way for them to be better and you just build off of what the, the final game that they had against the Colts is on the defensive side of the football. So, you know, one of their, I guess, weaknesses, if you want to say, is, uh, is along the, the defensive front, um, particularly their edge rushers. Uh, but at the, at the same time, this draft for at least, it's going to be top heavy on the defensive side of the football and particularly the defensive end side of the football. So for me, um, it comes down to two players for me for, with this number one pick. Um, this is actually, if you, if you want to go there, this is shades of 2013 draft where you had Eric Fisher at the top of the draft. You really didn't have a clear cut number one uh, prospect that you're going to draft. Um, in this case, you have either, Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end for Michigan, Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive end for Oregon. And believe it or not, I had a struggle with this basically the entire year. At the end of the day, for me, I decided to go with Aiden Hutchinson if I was a Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and I could go into it more with more detail, but I wanted to let that set in. I would say Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end for Michigan at with the number one overall pick. If, for whatever reason, I'm not able to trade out of that pick, um, 
because that's still a possibility for me. If I was if I was a GM, I would try to trade it just to try to get multiple picks to try to build up other areas and holes that I have. Because at this state, at this at this turn, you're going to need multiple players to get yourself back to the point where you can contend for the division, because that's where you start first before you can even think about playoffs or anything like that. It's about trying to compete within the division. And in order for you to do that, you have to you have to start with, you know, getting more green green stick or green uh or uh quality football nfl football blue players. chip prospects exactly blue chip prospects so you're gonna have to do that and you can't do it with just you know one pick in each round you need to try to at some point to do multiple picks so you but so you is your first choice players. then would you would you rather draft hutchinson or would you rather find a trade partner what would be your first option my first option to be honest would be to try try to find a trade partner because I think I want to get more bang for my buck. The problem is, is that there's no clear cut number one quarterback prospect or mm-hmm. two quarterback prospects yeah. that you can choose from to make this make that pick more enticing. Because nobody's going to trade up for the number one pick just to get an edge rusher, especially right. when when um, you know the edge rushers. You know, it's not a clear cut number one edge rusher either. I mean. Right. For so what you're, what you're basically me, saying is, is that um, Jacksonville's getting the season started. I was gonna say what you're saying here is that Jacksonville's getting screwed basically because pretty much it's because, like the wrong time for them to have the number one pick. Yeah, it, like it, because it of the fact pick. that there is no clear cut number one guy. I mean, because if there was a clear cut number one edge rusher, they would just take him probably. But correct. What they would really need is there to be a clear cut number one quarterback who's just not as good as Trevor Lawrence. They could easily exactly. trade out of that situation and then get a, a boatload of, of a bevy of picks to move down. Correct. But yes. it doesn't appear that that's the case. Aiden Hutchinson looks the part. I mean, he looks like he will not be a bad professional football player. I don't see really a scenario. They, they call that ha- a guy having a high floor, right? We don't know how Correct. high his ceiling is. You could argue others have a higher ceiling, but Correct. his floor seems pretty high, which means he's going to be a productive NFL football player for a long time. Uh, you know, is he J.J. Watt? Is he Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa? Right. When I look at Aiden Hutchinson, you know, he's going number one in the draft, right? Correct. Uh, with the exception maybe of Charles Woodson, the Chase Young is the best defensive college football player I've ever seen. Now, I'm not that old. You know, I haven't been around forever and ever and ever. But in all my years of watching college football, I've never seen a better defensive player than Chase Young. And so when I look at Chase Young and then I look at Aiden Hutchinson, I'm like, okay, Aiden Hutchinson is no Chase Young. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no. this, this guy is not, you know, Chase Young went number two that year, a couple of years ago. It's right. like, th- th- this is not that. Aiden Hutchinson is not that. But product- productive, uh, professional, supposedly, by all accounts, he loves football. So right. I, I think that... Um, he should be a good pick for Jacksonville. Uh, this is a team Jacksonville that since 2008 has drafted in the top 10 14 times. Correct. And almost none of them are still on the team. I mean, like even guys that were just drafted two, three, four years ago, some of those guys are already gone. So mm-hmm. uh, they need Aiden Hutchinson to work. If they can't find a trade partner, which there's been no speculation of any kind that Jacksonville is going to move down for the reasons that you already mentioned. So 
uh, it appears that they're going to make this pick, and it, and there's a decent chance that it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson, who dominated Ohio State, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I ain't want to mention that, but <laughs> I mean, he obliterated the Buckeyes almost single-handedly, single-handedly and, almost, and blew that game up. And so, uh, anybody that's able to kind of put Michigan back on the map has to be doing something right. Correct. And I and think for uh, I agree with everything you just said. And I think for for me, um, it was a toss-up between Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau from the defensive end for Oregon. A lot of these GMs today, uh, just just for you and your listeners, I mean, they look at especially when it comes to defensive players like this, like like Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau and others, as we'll talk about in the mark draft. Um, these guys, they looking for traits more so than actual production at times. So it looks like you know, are they do they do they have certain traits that's going to transfer them to the that's going to transfer over to the NFL? And my thing is. I look at two different things when I look at especially defensive players um, in particular, but just for all college players, um, when they're trans transferring uh, from from the college ranks to the NFL. The first thing I'm looking at is what have you done on Saturdays or, or basically days when you play your play your games? What have you done, meaning your production and then where you performed? I think that's also the, the biggest key to this whole situation for me. What came down to the difference between Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau for me was where did they perform? Where did they perform their 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 responsibilities? Where did they where did they have their games? Where did they play their games? I look at uh, uh, Aiden Hutchinson and I look at the fact that he played in the Big Ten Conference, which for me, besides the SEC, is probably the best um, best conference when it comes to defensive players. That's coming out into the NFL. And and I say that I say that cautiously, but I also know if you look at some of the big name players, a lot of them came from either the SEC or the Big Ten as far as as far as big time defensive players. So and especially at defensive end, which we which you just mentioned, some of the some of the players that came came into the league for, at, at defensive end, like Chase Young, the Bosa brothers so on and so forth, they're coming in, uh, Micah Parsons last year, defensive player of the year, defensive rookie of the year. They're all coming from the Big Ten. So there's a lot to say. I value Aiden Hutchinson and his uh, 43 games that he's played in the Big Ten more so than Kayvon Thibodeau, who played in a in a weak Pac-12 conference and only played, uh, and played 32 games. So I val- at the end of the day for me, Regardless of what traits they have, and and you and I agree with you, from uh, Aiden Hutchinson, he has a high floor, not necessarily a high ceiling, but he has a high floor. So I'm going to value his 40 plus games at defensive end um, in the Big Ten than Kayvon Thibodeau's 32 games or whatever in a weak Pac-12 conference. And I think what the biggest thing difference was for me was Kayvon Thibodeau not playing in the Oregon game versus Ohio state, because that was a chance for him to really play on a national stage. And he was injured that game, even though Oregon blew out the Buckeyes. It's still, to me, that was, I was a key contributor of him not being available for that, for that particular game that helped sway my decision. So that, and the fact that he played in a, in a weaker conference to me, like PAC 12 is, is the, is the second worst for me as far as power five conferences, when it comes down to defensive players, 
Um, the first one is definitely without without question is the Big Twelve. They have to me. I don't value anybody. There, in the look, Big there's 12. no power in the Pac-12. You call them a power. No, five. not they're, at all. They're, they lack a lot of Zero. power out there on the West Coast. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's why I came down to, and that's why I took Aiden Hutchinson for Jacksonville because he's going to be, if nothing else, he's going to be very very productive and very solid. He's a good kid. He comes from, you know, he came from a a, a, a family who played at Michigan. Um, Dad played briefly in the NFL. So, I mean, he understands the game to the point where he's going to be a professional and he's going to be able to uh, be a spokesman for that franchise going forward. So that's that's why I went that in that direction. Well, let me ask you this, then. Do you have Kayvon Thibodeau going number two to the Detroit Lions? Because well, that's a great question. <laughs> because, I mean, don't, I mean, don't I think the Lions would be thrilled to have Aiden Hutchinson stay right at home. And, and go from Ann Arbor to Detroit. I think that they would love that. But and and Dan Campbell, Mister Bite a Kneecap, I think would really <laughs> uh, enjoy having a, a homegrown Michigan kid coming in and playing for the Lions, led by Jared Goff, who famously, to me, anyways, if you say his name really fast, still sounds like jerk off, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the Lions last year, 313 and one, led by Jerkoff. And do we, we got I need to come up with like an alert of some kind for the podcast whenever we're talking about a team with a black general manager. Detroit has a black general manager. I don't know if you knew that, Mark. I, I, I did, but I don't remember his name. Uh, I do I remember his name. I think his name is black. Holmes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, you know what? It's, uh, yeah, his name is Brad Holmes. Brad Holmes. Brother yeah. man from Tampa, Florida. <laughs> bro, bro, bro man, fifth floor. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, we are in solidarity rooting for our teams with black general, general managers, of which there are seven now, which I think is the most they've ever had in the NFL. I agree. And so he's one of them. So uh, maybe Kayvon Thibodeau is the pick. I mean, Thibodeau, like you said, seems to have a lot of the tools. He seems a little light in the britches. But other than that, He's, he's speedy, elusive, uh, and he can get to the quarterback. This is a Detroit team that's picked in the top 10 for four straight years. They need to make a move. They need to – this is when, you know, wh- what's funny is, like, if you look back at Jacksonville's uh, time picking in – I mentioned all the top 10 picks that Jacksonville's had or whatever. They picked in the top uh, 10, like, in, like, maybe four or five consecutive drafts in the mid-2000s, and it culminated in that team that pushed the Patriots to the brink – in the AFC championship game. It's like you stack up all these picks and these guys turn out to be halfway decent. And next thing you know, you're competing for a conference championship. The lions have picked in the top 10 for four straight years. The Packers who have dominated this division, the NFC North appear to be on the downswing. They got rid of Devontae Adams. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is, you know, he's taking all the money for himself. Doesn't really yeah. seem to be too enthused about sharing the wealth. So, nope. Uh, and the Bears and Vikings aren't anything to write home about. So there appears to be a bit of a window for Detroit, um, except for the fact that Jeff Okuda has been a, a bit of a disappointment out of Ohio State. He's been injured and, yep. you know, he tore his Achilles and he just can't seem to get on the field consistently. Uh, they were 31st in points allowed last year with the Lions. Uh, okay. They also have the 32nd pick in the first round from the Rams from the Matthew Stafford trade. So mm-hmm. is Thibodeau to pick for the Lions? I'm taking Kayvon Thibodeau because to me, while you talked about Aiden Hutchinson having a high floor, Kayvon Thibodeau has a high ceiling. 
Um, it's very rare that you see a prospect with his type of athleticism, his type of football IQ, his type of uh, blue chip uh, qualifications or, or, or talent that he has and a relentless motor. So you, you usually have like a couple of those things, but it's very rare that you have all of those in one player. So to me, there, there's been talk and, you know, I, I hate mock drafts just as much as you do. Um, they talk about uh, Trayvon Walker, the defensive end from Georgia, being selected in that spot from the Lions. If that goes down Thursday night, uh, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be upset for a lot of different reasons. But most importantly, because Kayvon Thibodeau, to me, he didn't do anything to not warrant him being taken first or second. So wait a minute. When was he hurt? Was he hurt this year or was that the year before? This past year or was that two years ago? This, this past, It seemed like it was it was two years ago, but it was it was this past season. It was CJ. I think want to say. C.J. Stroud's uh, second game as a Buckeye starting at quarterback, and and that was a, that was a home game against. And Florida. Ohio State yeah. lost that game, and they lost that game exactly. And he didn't play. And I think and that's the thing. I think the the problem is because he's so light in the britches per se, he has a tendency to get hurt. He's going to have to put in on more weight and 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 muscle onto the the body that he has because he has a good enough frame to do it. And he's a smart enough guy. Um, he needs to refine um, his pass rushing moves because they didn't ask him to pass uh, to rush the passer a lot in at Oregon. They more he was more about a gap integrity type of person. Make sure that he they that he was uh, he had the ability to stop the run, and then if necessary, third and long have the ability to rush the passer. They, they didn't really incorporate a bunch of defensive schemes for him to go and get the quarterback, which. That's, I guess, the downside, and especially in a in a weak Pac-12, he could have really feasted on a lot of these quarterbacks and and offensive linemen that that he was playing against. Uh, but here, either, you know, neither here nor there. Thibodeau is a very good prospect. I really like his his is what he brings to the table, especially uh, football IQ. That's something that you just really cannot downplay. He's very he's a very intelligent player, and I think that also. That goes into a uh, into why I think that a lot of GMs or some GMs sour on him because he's such an intellectual. He comes off of, as being, you know, very arrogant, and I think that rubs a lot of GMs the wrong way, especially when and also when they look at him and and they question his ability or his mentality about making football his priority. I heard him in an interview once say, um, when he was going to Oregon, he said, "These next four years." is going to set up the next 40 years of my life. You don't get 18-year-old kids to think like that. You know what I'm saying? You barely get 40-year-olds to think like that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, I mean, to me, that's just that type of self-awareness is something you don't get in a a young man like that. And, um, and, you know, they also question his, his ability or, you know, is he all about his brand or is he about playing football? And I just think you can have it both you can have both to be honest because i hope i hope he's not about his brand their brand i I don't want to i don't want to hear about um uh undersized pass rusher at oregon's brand i'm not saying he's not good (laughs) you know what i'm saying we're not talking about uh, i'm a i'm the quarterback of alabama we're talking about i'm a pass rusher i'm a pass rusher at oregon in a week pack 12 (laughs) And I was injured for part of the year, but I'm concerned about my brand. 
Like that that's very Baker Mayfield of him. I don't I don't want to I don't want here, oh, here we go. <laughs> the, Leon no. gets, he has his own cryptocurrency. He got little things on the side. He wants to go into broadcasting when his football right, well, career is over. You know, I mean, you know who else is a, a pass rusher that's a, a man of varied interests? Miles uh, Garrett. Yeah, Miles Garrett. Garrett. Miles Garrett exactly. is a man of, of varied interests. Miles he does poetry for crying out loud and he likes dinosaurs. Yes, he likes dinosaurs. So, yes. I mean, you know, and he's also terrorizing quarterbacks every Sunday for the last four years. So I'm not, you know, if the guy can p- deliver the goods on the field, then that's really all that matters. Number three. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. Number three is the Houston Texans. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Texans on the last uh, preseason podcast of the year. It was not very flattering, but I don't really have a lot of flattering things to say about the Texans at this point. But uh, they were four and 13 last year. <laughs> they beat Jacksonville twice. That was half of their win total. Um, and of course, they moved on from Deshaun Watson, uh, trading him to the Cleveland Browns. So they now have the Browns first round pick. So they pick three and 13. Uh, they basically decided that they're going to go all in, at least for one year anyway, on Davis Mills, of all people, who I believe is the same dude that beat out Baker at Texas Tech, if I, if I recall correctly. Uh, they, they were the worst rushing team in the league, but they ended up uh, keeping... Brandon Cooks and Laramie Tunsil. So I don't know. They hired Lovey Smith. Did you know Lovey Smith was their coach? Yes. <laughs> so, the only reason uh, why I know because I'm down here in Texas. That's oh, that's true. Right, right, right. <laughs> if you look at their roster, like if you look at their depth chart, they are terrible. Like they're they. Horrible. It doesn't appear that they have very many NFL players on this roster. So you talk about teams that need help everywhere or a, yeah. a potential trade down uh, option. Maybe it's this team. I don't know. I mean, maybe they don't want to trade down from three. But in a draft like this, where there's not a lot of slam dunks, maybe they're they're in the market for a trade down. Um, you know, only one first round pick. They've only had one first round pick in the last four years. So again. The, the, in, in, in the inverse of what Jacksonville did, they had all those first-round picks and all those top-10 picks, and eventually they found themselves in the AFC Championship game. Houston built nothing around Deshaun Watson. Since Deshaun Watson ha- was there, they've only had one first-round pick in four years So uh, before this year. So now they have two. So what are they doing with it? Well, the first one, um, for me, and, and we go back to the the part where i mean this is just a bad draft if you're looking to try to trade down it, it really is a bad draft for that if they if they had one or two like really really elite prospects that could that could swing the tide that people want to trade up to get you know that's one thing but um for them i, I i'm more they need they need quality football players so to it sometimes the best the best uh, draft uh, process or draft idea is just to stay where you at, pick a player, and hope that the, that the guy that you pick is is a very good one. Um, for the Texans, they don't have you just you just you know said it a minute ago. They don't have many good players. So how do you get good players? You don't go out and pay guys, you know, like uh, like Jacksonville did, like Christian Kirk, a whole bunch of money like that. You go in, try to get your own guys and try to develop them. And that's the that's the process that Houston's going to have to take, because quite frankly, they're going to be a, a top three pick next year, too. And quite honestly, if, yeah, if Davis Mills is not the guy, they, they're going to be taking their quarterback next year anyway. So I will stay where I'm at. And for me, I'm going to pick a an elite talent um, 
at that position at, at, at that spot that I'm that I'm looking at. And for me, that best player is going to be Ahmad Sauce Gardner, the cornerback from Cincinnati. I would personally take him with the number three pick. And mainly the reason why is because, like you, you spoke at the beginning of the podcast, the run on wide receivers, they're, they're, they're becoming more and more expensive. They're to, it's to the point it's the second most expensive position on the field besides the quarterback. So with that being said, um, although they don't have a ton of, of top-tier wide receivers within that division. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> Just pause for a minute, though, because it's it. I, I'm after. I'm going to say after within the next year or so, they're going to be more and more teams that's going to have more and more weapons, and you're going to need somebody to cover these guys. Right now, they don't have anybody to cover anybody for this or at the end in Houston for the Houston Texans. So that's a guy who who can actually be a game changer at that position. Um, at least for this year, he can he can guard the Christian Kirks. He can guard the uh, A.J. Browns and stuff like that. So that's why I would go with – I will go with Sauce Gardner as my uh, pick at number uh, three for the Houston Texans. I, I don't know how you don't uh, – I don't know how you don't rock with a dude named Sauce. I mean, come on. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, uh, by all accounts, the kid is he's lightning quick feet. He's, he's got great length. He's tall. He's 6'3", so that's right. great. Uh, you know, and so you, you would like for your – for your shutdown corner to be six, three with great feet and great footwork mm-hmm. and some speed. I mean, that's pretty much everything you would want and could ask for. Um, right. So sauce Gardner might not be a bad pick. And this raises a question about positioning in football and where general managers want to spend their money. I feel like the Patriots probably were in on this ahead of everybody else, but now I think all the all the other teams have caught up now, and so there's really there's really only a few team there's only only a few positions rather that teams are willing to sink a, a significant amount of equity into, right? Mm-hmm. And we're talking like big money in free agency, and we're talking high draft picks. Generally speaking, your quarterbacks, your pass rushers, who are the guys that disrupt the quarterbacks, right? Now wide receivers uh, have joined that mix who help out the quarterbacks, your left tackle, whose yep. primary objective is to protect, protect the quarterback's blind side. And then if there had to be a fifth position, you would probably throw defensive back in there um, mm-hmm. because it is such a passing league. I, I feel like defensive backs are actually undervalued. Um, I, I agree with you. On I, that. I feel like, I feel like if I were running a team and if I had a, you know, if I had money to burn, or if I had first round picks or whatever, um, I'm, I'm really only spending that type of capital on those positions that I just mentioned with the exception being if there is a like elite generational type talent. So for example, I still defend to this day, the the New York giants drafting Sequan Barkley second overall. I think the Browns still should have picked them first overall instead of Baker. Um, (laughs) And I think they should have taken uh, the uh, Josh Rosen with the fourth pick. I will never, I will die on a Josh Rosen Hill mark. I'm just, I'm just prepared to do it. I don't care. I don't care. I'll die on that hill. The guy never got a, he never got a fair break, never a fair shake in the NFL. Never did. So nobody can tell me he stinks now. But like, right. you can't convince me that he would have stunk had he ever been given a fair shake or given the opportunities, the many ample opportunities that somebody like Baker Mayfield received. 
so no, I, I, yeah, I, but I still, he would have had Hugh Jackson as coach, though. <laughs> I will no, say that. No, that would that wouldn't have been great. That wouldn't have been great. But I mean, even Baker saw some success with Hugh Jackson, so I don't have any reason True. to believe that Josh Rosen was incapable of having some success with Hugh Jackson. True. I mean. True. You know, so I mean, but you know, especially if he was handing the ball off to Saquon Barkley. Incidentally, it turned out well for the Browns because they used their fourth pick on Denzel Ward, who they just made the highest paid defensive back ever in the NFL last week. Correct. So I, I guess it worked out okay for for Cleveland. But uh, you know, I just I'm of the belief that unless there's a generational talent, so Saquon Barkley, for example, uh, Quentin Nelson recently, he's an offensive guard. Um, right. I, yeah, he he was. A can't miss prospect coming out. Like everybody was a thousand percent in on that dude coming out of the draft, and he fell to I believe the sixth pick, and the Colts took him, and it made sense. So I mean, you know, if we're talking generational talent at a different position, that's like you know one one in five years, ten year prospect at that position, then yeah, you can go ahead and take that guy at the top of the draft. But so the Jets have uh, two picks in the top ten. Uh, yes, they are one of which was when they drafted a safety and then traded him to Seattle. So that's where they got a pick from. Uh, <laughs> so they're they were four and 13 last year under Robert Sala. They're in a tough division, of course, because Miami was the third place team in that division. They finished nine and eight and they just went out and got Tyreek Hill and they dra- they, they signed two new running backs in free agency. So they're making moves out there. They tried to get the goat. You know what I'm saying? They tried to get the goat right. Tom Brady. So uh, they, they, it didn't work. But, you know, I applaud the effort. They the Jets have talent on offense, Mark. Zach Wilson, I feel like more than Trevor Lawrence flashed last year. Now, I'm not saying that he had a better year than Trevor Lawrence necessarily. Statistically, Zach Wilson was awful, but I felt like he yeah. flashed a little bit at times. Uh, they also have Michael Carter, Elijah Moore, Makai Becton, uh, Vera Tucker on the offensive line. The, they have pieces on offense. We, we've seen uh, three defensive players go in your Mark draft in the top three. So maybe this is just the year for defense, but, um, you know, what should they do with their pick? I, it seems like defense might be the way to go once again. Defense is the way to go, especially with with uh, with the Jets in particular. You name you you, you talked about the, the different players that were uh, taken by Miami this offseason and they still have Buffalo that's in there. You still have New England that's in there. You have a bunch of teams that you have to deal with twice a year. You're gonna need to be going after these quarterbacks. So for me, they help across the defensive line cannot hurt them. Um, in this case here, the the third and probably the the last defensive end that I would take anywhere near in the top ten for me, uh, well at least I don't want to say that, but at least in the top five for me, uh, I would take the third best in my opinion, and that person is Trayvon Walker, defensive end from Georgia, and. I would take him and try to increase my opportunities to, to develop pass rushes to get a, get to get these quarterbacks that they're going to be going against twice a year. Because that's I mean, at the end of the day for them to have any chance to even compete, they're going to have to get better defensively. Um, and Robert Sala is, is a defensive minded coach. He's going to need defensive players and defensive studs out there to, to try to help him achieve that. So that's where I'm going. So Walker has has been a a um, a player of much conversation in this draft. I agree. Yep. Explain to me why he deserves to be picked in the top four when he basically produced nothing while at Georgia. He was surrounded by a ton of other great players. 
And we just did not see the production on the field. So what is it about him? And I know you talked about traits earlier, and that's a big buzzword this year in in the draft circles. Yes, in draft circles. But but I mean, why why take a chance on a dude in the top four that didn't really produce much in college? Because he's six five, two seventy five, and he and he runs in the low fours, uh, or medium fours, I guess. Um, and I think though those traits that, that you're talking about. Uh, that we was talking about earlier. I think those those are the type of things where if you get a defensive minded coach and a, and a very good defensive minded coach like a Robert Sala, I think he can bring the rest out of him because it's about it's about consistency. And especially if you look at Georgia in particular, their their defensive ends they weren't asked to do a ton of stuff there uh, as far as rushing the passer. They just did a natural rush. They rush four and they hope that one of their guys get, you know, get there. Um, their their biggest thing, they had a lot of pressure up front with between him, Jordan Davis, and then in, on the second level with uh Nicole Dean. They had a, a lot of guys who was able to to be stout at the at the point of attack and then uh but but still provide enough of a rush. Um, and Trayvon Walker is one of those guys, and he really didn't have much much of a, a career until this past season. I mean, if you just look at him, he didn't have, he didn't have much from a production standpoint. Um, you look at him, he only had, uh, he had 12, 12 and a half tackles for loss total for his career. He only had six sacks last year, this past year. So it's not like he was, you know, bringing the house down, but at the same time, he was stout against the run and he provided a lot of different things to help improve the pass rush that Georgia had. And they, like I said, they were stout at the point of the attack. So a lot of teams weren't able to run the football against them. So I think he helps in that department as well. Now it's a matter of getting the right type of coaching around him to bring the rest of the traits out of him. I think Robert Sala is that person. If he was at a different place, like, like Houston, for example, I don't feel that's a good spot for him because I don't trust David, you know, David Cauley or whoever whoever's coaching there. Whoever's uh, Lovey Smith, Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith, excuse me. Uh, Lovey Smith or anybody else at that particular point to help him. Um, the problem with with the problem with Lovey Smith is, is that he runs a three. He basically runs a three, four system for the most part. I can't see somebody like um, like Trayvon Walker playing an outside linebacker in a three, four. He would be more of a defensive. He would still be a defensive end. So. I mean, with that being said, I, I'm more I'm more in the in the situation where I think Robert Sala could get provide him more than at this point with uh, with Houston because Houston they don't have a lot of players around them. At least with the Jets, they have some foundational pieces there that can help him help bring him along to the point where they don't have to rely on him solely to try to make plays. So. I think that's a good fit for him going forward. So that's why I picked him there. Uh, he'd be playing near CJ Mosley. So we know CJ is um, an elite linebacker, you know? So uh, right. if, if he's got him, you know, flanking him, that's, that's not a bad look. Um, I just, I just worry, man. I, I, I would be skeptical uh, about bringing in a dude that, like you said, didn't produce on Saturdays. Like you said that at the top of the mark draft, like you, you want guys that produce on Saturdays, this guy, uh, I mean, the the 
Okay, numbers aren't everything. Like, you and I are smart enough to know that. We've watched football and other sports long enough to know that statistics and numbers aren't everything. You do have to watch the games and you do have to look for right. patterns and things like that. But there, there's also something to be said for the fact that the guy just didn't, just didn't do much on Saturdays in terms of things that showed up in the box score. And so, I mean, if, I wanna, like, if I'm taking a pick that high, like, I would really prefer to have someone who made an impact you know, with the intangibles and on the box score. So I, I I don't disagree with that. I just look at the fact that because he played in the SEC, I value his contributions more than if he then like like we talked about with, with Kayvon Thibodeau, who played in a weaker conference. And it should have been at, but his problem was he was he wasn't asked to do much there. And on top of that, he uh he was in a situation where he was hurt a lot too. So I think with I think with the fact that he played in SEC, I think he's 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 uh, playing up against a high higher uh, competition, and he and he understands the game to the point where he's able to contribute without necessarily having a whole bunch of sack totals. I think he can All provide right, well, that one. So we'll I mean it's something we'll have to we'll, look we'll at. We'll see. see. Look, I'm not predicting that the dude is going to be a scrub. I'm just saying, right? It's 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 tricky. It's tricky I, to. I, you're 100% fair. I agree with you. Yeah, that. That, that's all I'm saying. So the Giants then pick fifth. Uh, so after, you know, uh, the, the one New York team goes, we have the other New York team picking with the fifth pick. Also, 4 and 13 last year with the Giants. They fired uh, Joe Judge, which was, I mean, who didn't know that that was going to be a terrible hire in the moment? He should have never been hired. That guy. He never should have been hired in the moment. We Everybody knew that that was an awful hire. And. I don't, I don't know what the Maher family's doing, but now they have uh, Brian Dayball running the show there, another former Cleveland Brown. Uh, of course, he was kind of the root of, of the uh, Brian Flores lawsuit because people believe that he, or at least he thought that he was, when Belichick was communicating with Brian Flores, he thought of talking to Brian Dayball, congratulating him on getting the Giants job, and it was the wrong Brian that was a former assistant coach of his. And everything went haywire. And all of a sudden, now we have the NAACP and Al Sharpton coming after the NFL. Yeah, oh, my God. It's like uh, one top hat away from being a three-ring circus. Yeah, uh, well, they're not going to go down that road right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking of three-ring circuses, the Giants uh, still have Daniel Jones as the starting quarterback, um, <sighs> who has challenged Baker Mayfield and Jameis Winston for the title of turnover machine in the NFL <laughs> <laughs> Since his arrival in New York, uh, they're, they're, <laughs> now they're actually talk about, there's already talk about them trading their first round pick from last year, uh, uh, Kadarius Tony from yes. Florida, the receiver. They're already talking about trading him away. I can think of a team in Northeast Ohio that could use a receiver, but again, that's another, yeah, another day. I, I would agree. Um, Andrew, uh, Andrew Thomas was their high, top five offensive lineman pick from a couple of years ago and he's been up and down, but I also am seeing a lot of people mocking offensive linemen to the giants here. So, uh, and of course they can't really block for Saquon Barkley and, and Barkley's never healthy. What do they do, Mark? Help them out. Correct. So it, to me, to me, it, it, it makes, it makes the perfect sense. They're not going to be able to, to truly evaluate Daniel Jones the way he needs to be evaluated. Oh, uh, they've had plenty of time to evaluate Daniel Jones. Hold on now. Oh, I, 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 don't we know? I, don't we know he stinks? He stinks. 
from based on he based on what we've seen, he stinks. But you gotta, you have to be, you have to give this kid every opportunity to prove that this guy stinks. I mean, you uh, and when you have Swiss cheese for offensive line, it's not going to give you much time to sit back there and throw. You're going to get happy feet. At this point, he could possibly be damaged goods. You probably don't really. Yeah. You're never going to get the full potential from him because he's been bashed yeah. around. To me, that's why it makes no sense. It, if you're going to draft a quarterback, you've got to find a way to protect them. And, and they, the Giants never did that because they couldn't protect Saquon Barkley. That's why you, if you're going to take a running back, especially a one that's talented as Saquon that high, you have to be able to protect them and, and, and block and open lanes for them. And they didn't do that. No, so that's so, why Saquon's in a body cast now. Exactly. So, I mean, at this point, regardless of whether it, the future is going to be Daniel Jones the future is going to be Saquon Barkley or the future is going to be somebody else. They got to put a line there that's going to protect them. Right now they have Andrew Thomas and you really can't evaluate Andrew Thomas when the rest of the line stinks too. So you, you got, you got to build up that offensive line. So for me personally, I I have to go and, and get a guy not only who can play offensive line, but also be available to play left. I mean, excuse me, not left tackle, but right tackle because in this particular case, you know, you got a left tackle, but you don't have a right tackle and you pretty much have a whole bunch of nonsense in between. So get the bookends correct. And so for me, if I'm if I'm the Giants, especially if I have two two uh, top 10 picks, one of them is going to be an offensive tackle. For, so for me, I'm taking um, Ikeem Kwanu from the offensive tackle from uh, North Carolina uh, State and plug him at right tackle. You have Andrew Thomas at the other tackle, and we start from there. You got to build on the foundation of the of the lines. Just even if, before you can even evaluate any of your other skill positions, you gotta you have to give them every opportunity to fail. For that and you and knowing that you provided enough stability on the offensive line to protect them. You don't do that. You might you just waste your time. You might as well get rid of everybody and start all over again. Uh, you're right about that. <laughs> you're right about that. <laughs> Uh, Ikemuka, uh, Ikwanmu, uh, like you said, out of North Carolina State, the guy is 6'4", 3'10", which is uh, pretty big, I would say. Uh, he seems to be strong. He's, you know, he's been described as, as nasty in the run game and light-footed in pass protection. So that is a beautiful combination to have, especially when you have a talent like Saquon, who I'm not, I'm not done on Saquon. I'm not out on Saquon as a, as a prospect. I mean, he's still... I mean, he showed that he could be very, very good, if not great, when he was in there. Um, you know, when they fed him, he had a lot of success, at least at first. They still just have a lot of problems with, with protection, as we've, we've talked about uh, uh, several times already. So, and they have another pick, too. And, and the good thing, the cool thing about this with the Giants, you know, their, their offense was, was worse than their defense last year. So it's nice for them to... Um, basically get their crack at the best offensive player in the draft. Cause if the draft falls anything like how you have it, it's, it's been, it's been four straight defensive players. So not right. an offensive player has come off the board until now. So they get their pick of the litter of any offensive player they want in the draft. They're in a division that still feels winnable. The NFC East yep. is not awesome. <laughs> we know that. Not at and, all. and Dave Gettleman has retired. So in spite Thank of the fact God. that I defend the giants for picking Barkley, Dave Gettleman, not the best looking GM performance the last few years. 
So they uh, are probably in, in much better shape. Joe Schoen from the Buffalo Bills has now replaced him and is now running the Giants. So, uh, and the Bills have built up one of the most elite rosters in football. So I think that that makes right. some sense. Uh, with the sixth pick in the middle of the Giants pick, we have a Panther sandwich. The 5-12 and 12 Panthers are picking sixth overall. Matt Rule's been their coach for a few years, but you talk about evaluating guys. I don't know how we can evaluate Matt Rule's performance, especially with him being an offensive coach, considering the fact that Christian McCaffrey can't stay on the field all of a sudden. He's basically been injured for two straight years, Mark. Yeah. We're talking arguably the best player in football, right? I mean, like, how yep. many how many offensive skill position guys are better than Christian McCaffrey when he's at full strength? I mean, it's, it's a short list. He catches... Short list. He's top five. In my opinion, he could. In my opinion, he's probably top three. Right, but now that, that's how that's how dominant he could be when he's healthy. So you so. figure Christian McCaffrey's probably about twenty five now, twenty six in that range. Yeah. You could make the case that he's never going to be what he was, and that his best years are already behind him as a running back. You can make that case. You could also make the case that all he needed to do was get healthy. Uh, we know that dude is committed and dedicated. You talk about. Uh, you mentioned earlier about Aiden Hutchinson being a professional because his daddy played in the league. We know Christian McCaffrey's daddy played in the league for a long time. We know he's professional. He takes his craft seriously. Um, you know, some have speculated that they should move him. Some people thought that he was going to get moved to Houston in exchange for Deshaun Watson. He's still there, and he's still probably the focal point along with DJ Moore, who is one of the more most underrated and unheralded receivers in football. They don't have anybody to throw to him, Mark. That's the problem. Uh, it's it? been a it's been a it's been a shit sandwich of quarterbacks up there in the last few years. If it's not Cam Newton, if it's not past his prime Cam Newton, it's PJ Walker or Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Darnold. Of course. Of course. Of course. This is a destination, Mark. Potentially <laughs> for everybody's least favorite quarterback in Cleveland. It's, it's possible that Baker Mayfield may end up there in spite of the fact that Robbie Anderson is on record as saying, no, we want no yeah. Baker. Uh, right. No, that's what he said on, on, on Instagram or whatever. But we also know that they signed Hollywood Higgins. Baker's favorite target is already down there, Mark. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and there's already speculation as of this evening that Baker will be traded on day two of the draft or day three. So, which means he's going to get traded for a late round pick. But uh, correct. So, if I mean, the Panthers are a possibility. We know their defense has been better than their offense, Mark, uh, especially with the with the performances of, of uh, Jeremy Chin and J.C. Horn. Their, their offense just stinks because they have no quarterback. So, maybe this is a place they draft a quarterback. Maybe they make a move for Baker. What says you? So, I personally, if I, if I was the GM of the Carolina Panthers, I would not even look at Baker Mayfield because <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just me. Because his 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 mouth has gotten him into trouble since the since the guy walked into an NFL locker room, and quite frankly, he did that. It's been done like prior to when he left Texas Tech for crying out loud. So I wouldn't even go that direction. I already I'm already paying eighteen roughly nineteen billion dollars to a quarterback that already on the roster in Sam Darnold, which you he we already know he's not the answer because I believe that the Jets damaged him. He was damaged goods when he was with the Jets. So I don't I don't oh, know Sam Darnold's on record Mark saying something last week like he's he's proven that he's an elite level quarterback or something like that he said and oh my god then now he's man he's he he got roasted on Twitter <laughs> it was a roast session of Sam Darnold 
Oh my god. And he should have been roasting for some for saying something like that. I mean, okay, it's okay to have confidence, but come on, man. I mean, we we are we are in the 21st century and this is a reality this is reality that we're dealing with here, not fantasy land. But um for them this is this is a, this is a struggle because it's I don't know if it's going to go down like this on Thursday. But to me, the question you have to ask yourself if you're the Carolina Panthers, and particularly if you're Matt Rule, am I going to be here longer than next year? Because this guy's on the hot seat. And and yeah. and the answer to answer that question determines the route that you go that you need to take. Um for me personally, I'm gonna act as though I have nothing but time on my hands. Because quite honestly. Carolina is not going to win anytime soon, and especially in a division where you still have the go. That's not going to happen. So they might as well just cancel any any division or playoff appearances or anything like that because that's just not going to happen. Just not. So if you're going to give this guy time, um, then the the selection at number at uh, at number six is going to be Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty. If you're not going to give him time, then your selection will be. Kenny Pickett, the quarterback uh, from Pittsburgh. And there's two different reasons for that. But for me personally, I'm going with Malik Willis because he has the highest upside of any quarterback that's in this draft. Um, he is extremely raw. So it's going to take time with him. And we, we've discussed this before. You're gonna, it's going to take time. He, he's, uh, he come from a, comes from a smaller school in Liberty. They only play, I think he's only played like five uh, uh, Power Five conference uh, conference teams over the time that he's played at Liberty. So, with that being said, it's going to take time for him to get to get the speed of the game down, to understand defensive coverages, the whole nine yards. But he has more upside than anybody in this draft. So, if you're going, if if time is of the essence, if you're going to stick with Matt Rule and not have him go through three and four different offensive coordinators and three and four different coaches then this is the guy you want to take because he has the most upside. If you're trying to win now, your choice should be Kenny Pickett. So it all depends on which way you want to go. For me, I'm acting as though I have time on my hands, so I'm going to go with the best prospect. In this case, I'm going Malik Willis from Liberty. I could definitely make the case that it'd be foolish of you to pretend as though you have time on your hands. Because as you as you said, <laughs> not for long, right? Not for long. That's what this is. We know what this is. <laughs> Man, I don't even you know why I say is. that, Justin, is because they really never. I mean, they're giving him. You talked about a, a, a shit sandwich. They basically giving this guy nothing but piles of shit for the last like three years or two, three years at, at the uh, as at the quarterback position down there. They giving him nothing, and they expect him to go win with that. I, I mean, to me, that's entirely unfair. Uh, an unfair process. You, I mean, my thing is, if I'm going to be evaluated for my performance. Then give me a quarterback that I want, not somebody's reject, not not the, uh, 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 trying to recreate an old flame from M MVP Cam Newton uh, back in the day. I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to get but you, take yeah. the, take the, a, a, a bum like Baker Mayfield off off the Browns' hands and Baker's, put him back. Baker's there. catching so many strays. <laughs> <laughs> Baker's I'm catching so many strays. <laughs> I'm not going that route with him. I, I mean, if if it's, if my job is on the line. Then give me a quarterback that I want. Give me a chance to, to have this quarterback. But is Malik Willis really that guy? 
I mean, I just have to say it, man. Is Malik Willis really that guy? Like, just because he's the most, uh, he's the quarterback in this draft with the highest upside, is he the guy that you want to be placing your hitching your wagon pushing, to? Put, hitching your wagon and pushing all the chips on the table in on on this dude from Liberty, who, I mean, like, let's face it, if if we're gonna take a dude, because you talked earlier about guys producing you know against the toughest competition and in the tougher conferences and that's what you value more so this dude went to liberty i don't even know what conference liberty's in i don't even know what division they're in i don't even know if they're an fbs school or not i have no idea but what i do know is that malik willis this past year i, I know that he's he's not that big he's six one and that's pushing it yes. uh I, and we know about short quarterbacks i know that yes. he threw for 27 touchdowns and 12 picks which would be amazing if you're Baker Mayfield, maybe. But uh, for somebody who's coming from a small school like that, you would think that they would be, like, dominant. Like, you would think, because they're playing, like, a bunch of, you know, they're playing, like, uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and, and UAB and Old Dominion. There's a lot of that on their schedule. Uh, the the they, <laughs> Back in September, they played, they played some team called the Campbell Fighting Camels. Mark? Uh, yeah. I, I, yes. Yes, they the, did. The Campbell Fighting Camels. I'm, n- I'm not making this up. In that uh-huh. game, Malik Willis only threw for 217 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Like, that's not blowing me away. He had no. one, two, three games of three picks this past season. I mean, yeah. so he, I mean, like, he's not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say he's not good or that he won't be anything in the NFL. Some people have compared him to like a, you know, like an Aldi. Lamar Jackson or whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, he's... Oh, he Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just, I like, like Lamar when you Jackson. put it through the context of Matt Rule needs to save his job. And we know that because look at Joe Brady. Remember Joe Brady was the hottest thing since sliced bread two years sucks. ago? He, Joe yeah. Brady was that dude. How many times did they pan up into the press box when LSU was destroying Alabama or whoever it was, a Clemson in the national championship game, and they just took them apart? How many times did they pan up to Joe Brady? And then right after that, Joe Brady got a brand new uh, deal with the Carolina Panthers to be their offensive coordinator. And what happened? Two years later, he's out the door. He don't even work right. there no more. And, and right. nobody even knows it. Like he, he was, He's out with yesterday's garbage. So we know Matt Rule's next. You know what I mean? Oh, he's definitely next. So maybe so I need Malik to make Willis an addendum then? with this. But maybe I need to make an addendum with this for the first time because I'm talking you out of it. You talking me out. Well, based because based on what the information that you're talking about, if I need to win now, and see, this is a this is a stretch because I don't even know if there's any quarterback that they could bring in tomorrow and have them win to the point where he's going to have his job saved. That's my that's my concern because unless you're winning a division or you're in the playoff, the goat, the goat's still in that division. They ain't doing that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So with that being said, you know if I'm not going to be in, I'm not. I'm going to go and get this get this kid, and I'm going. I'm talking about Kenny Pickett. Why would I go and get a Kenny Pickett who is ready to play now? Whose ceiling is not going to be that high? To me, he's, to me, he's going to be, he's he's good for the short term and maybe not necessarily for the long term. He's not good. He doesn't have this. He has a higher floor than um than Malik Willis, but he hasn't. But his ceiling is not that high. So my my thing is, 
I go ahead and get this kid. I end up being uh what six and eleven, and then I, I get canned because yeah. I mean I'm still in a I'm still in the division that still has Tampa Bay. I'm still in the and uh, still in the NFC, which is not really really that great, but I'm still nowhere near uh capable of getting to a playoff spot. I get canned, and now you you're gonna have a new coach come in with a brand new system and everything else, and you starting over with with this dude. So I just think I, mean, I think Matt Car- doesn't either way. Carolina just needs somebody to come in and not be terrible. What is I mean, like what is what is the requirement that we need to have somebody to come in and just not be terrible? Like I I, I just know that Kenny Pickett. And, you know, he's maybe has his warts also, but 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, seven picks against uh, better competition in the ACC than yeah, what Malik the, Willis a, AC, ACC uh, Offensive Player of the Year. And he's 6'3". Yes. And he's 6'3", and he beat Dan Marino's uh, school record as well. Oh, damn. Okay, well, if you invoke the name Dan Marino, now you now you catching my attention. And he had the dopest highlight of the college football season when he did the fake slide. Yes, that that highlight was so dope. That that was so fire. They had to outlaw that move. They don't even let you do yeah, it anymore. No <laughs> that they was so clever. That's right. true. So so, I mean, I, so so just because you because of what you said, because you're making valid points. And at the end of the day, for me, I want to say if I'm at rule, I want to save my job. If I'm if I'm the general manager, which I am of the of the Carolina Panthers, I could really give a damn which way I go because <laughs> Matt Rule's not my answer. He's going to be gone after this year anyway. He's going to get fired. So. I might as well get the guy that I want, but from yeah. that standpoint, if you're trying to, if you're working with the guy, you want to be successful now. Kenny Pickett is the guy you want to go to if you want to be successful now. If you if you want to willing to wait and take your time, you got Sam Darnold is still on the books, and you still got all these other quarterbacks that's still on the books. Go ahead, get your, get yourself uh, Malik Willis. Have him sit. Or show off in camp. If he shows off in camp, <laughs> you play him. If you don't, let him sit and learn him. behind Sam Darnold, the guy who admitted to the guy who the guy who admitted to seeing ghosts on Monday Night Russell. Football. Exactly. <laughs> let him learn behind that guy. Uh, no, I mean I feel you, man. Like, I don't, and I don't. Like, to be clear, I'm not here to. I'm not. What well, I'm not pounding the table for Kenny Pickett over Malik Willis. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm just giving you a little pushback. No, I, I completely understand. And based I agree on, with you based on the criteria that you laid out. And it's just like, you know, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I just, I'm just tired of quarterbacks like unjustly flying up draft boards every April and May. And we see this every year. And whenever there's, whenever we're devoid of, of an, of a great quarterback or, or a number two quarterback, like even if there's a year where they're like when in the Cam Newton draft in 2011, we, everybody knew that he was the guy, but we needed another guy just so we could have yeah. the conversation. So what did we do? Yeah. We shoehorned Blaine Gabbard into that discussion. And then it became yeah, Cam bad. Newton or Blaine Gabbard. And it's like, well, one guy won the Heisman trophy, won the national championship and was an MVP and took us team to the Super Bowl. And the other dude is Blaine Gabbert. Like, this is not a discussion. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert was never... No. He was never that good. He was never going to be that guy. We knew this. No, he wasn't. And so now here we are all these years later, and it's kind of the same thing. It's just like, this is not a very deep quarterback draft. This is not a, a, an excellent quarterback class. Now, that doesn't mean that one of them can't come out of this and be good. That doesn't mean that one of them or two right. of them can't be starters. But I'm just here to say that we've seen better classes and we don't have to shoehorn somebody into 
the top 10 just because they're a quarterback. But yet, every year, without fail, we see it. That's what it's happens. It's going to happen. By the way, by the way, do you know uh, do you know who the richest owner is in the NFL? It's a great question. I, I don't know who the richest one is. The richest owner in the NFL is the owner of the Carolina Panthers. David Tepper. He is by far the wealthiest man that owns an NFL team, actually. You would think it's Jerry Jones or somebody uh, or right. the dude out in L.A. No, it's, 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 David, it's David Tepper. He is worth nearly $17 billion. And I believe, according to the internets, he is the 103rd richest person on earth. Wow. So uh, why am I pointing that out? Well, the guy's new to this to this uh, ownership thing. And we learned from Jimmy Haslam and the Browns that when you are an, uh, an owner for the, in the NFL for the first time, you don't know what you're doing, but you get impulsive, impulsive. and you don't yeah. want to wait around for things to work out. And so I would not be surprised if, you know, if so the Kenny Pickett's going to be start, the guy, <laughs> Either Kenny Pickett's going to be the guy or that if they get off to a slow start, then that we're going to see a change made at the head coach. I mean, I wouldn't put anything, uh-huh. put anything past it. Uh, so back to the Giants. We already talked about the Giants. Uh, you had them picking uh, an offensive tackle in, with the fifth pick. Now they have this pick from the Chicago Bears. Uh, I'm not even entirely sure what, what, uh, what move that's from, but they have the Bears pick at number seven. Um, and they also have the 32nd pick in round two. So there's a lot that they can do. Uh, where do you have them going with the second pick of the top 10? So... They they went on one side of the of the line in dealing with the offensive line with their with the fifth pick. So for the seventh pick, I'm going defensive line and most importantly their edge. So for the for me, the fourth and final top ten defensive uh end player that I'm looking at is Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end from Florida State. I will plug him in and I would address before they can get anything going on both offense and defense, they have to establish both fronts of each line. So this is no different defensive end. Their pass rush uh, really wasn't that great. Even though the giants defense overall wasn't that wasn't, uh, wasn't terrible, but they still need a uh, additional pass rush. They don't have enough of a pass rush and, and, and a winnable NFC East. That's the thing. They are not too far from actually competing within that division because everybody is, it's pretty much the same for the most part. So I think I think uh, there there's going to be games to be had, and I think with with the establishing both lines of scrimmage, that will help out the Giants in trying to do this rebuild and basically determining what direction they will need to go next year. Because if if Daniel Jones thinks like we assume that he will, now he has he will have no excuses. He'll still have a healthy Saquon Barkley, have a, a, a better offensive line. If he's not, if he's not the, uh, the guy, guess what? They'll be in the top five again next year, and they'll be able to draft the quarterback next year. So uh, establish the lines and, and see what you can build from there. Establish the line first and build, build back from there. So Jermaine Johnson's my pick at, uh, at number seven. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson kind of fought his way up. Uh, looks like he was a a former three-star recruit that started uh, at Independence Community College in Kansas, and then he was ruled academically ineligible. Um, hmm. he was, then he became the number one 
Juco prospect and found his way to Florida State and the rest is history. Dude, 6'5", 254. So you know he's got work ethic, or at least that's what it appears. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, being the... Did I mention... Did I, did I just say he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year? Um, you did not, but okay. you were absolutely correct. Yeah, ACC Defensive Player of the Year. So uh, seems like he's got a lot going for himself. And, and like you said, it makes sense for the Giants to try to enhance both sides of the line of scrimmage uh, in 12 games he compiled 11 and a half sacks so again talking about what the production is you see the production is there with him uh the falcons are up next at eight uh, we haven't heard a receiver's name called yet but uh the falcons have you know one of the best young pass catchers in all of football that being kyle pitts in their midst kyle pitts only caught one touchdown last year but he was uh still wowed a lot of people um he still wowed a lot of people in his rookie season. They let Russell Gage go and they had the Calvin Ridley saga where he's betting on games and got suspended for the full season. So that's not great. They let Matt Ryan go. They traded him away and picked up uh, Marcus Mariota. That's not great. So now Marcus Mariota is a starting quarterback for the Falcons, which seems like uh, the stopgap to end all stopgaps. But this team may not be as far away as we think. Uh, you know, they, they, they were pretty bad on defense. Um, I, I'm not sure that they ever got over 28 to three mark. Maybe they, I don't think, I don't think they did. Maybe they didn't, but they, they need to, they need to figure it out quickly. Uh, and, and by the way, this is another black GM alert, Terry Fontenot, uh, <laughs> black GM alert in Atlanta. Of course, of course, Atlanta. So of course, what do you have them doing with the eighth pick of round one? So, you just mentioned all of those different things, okay? You mentioned, and you also mentioned the fact that, you know, Atlanta, even with Matt Ryan, who I I, I feel is a is a very solid quarterback. You look just, just looking at the last five years that they've that they've uh, that they played. Atlanta was last year was third in the NFC South at seven and ten, four and twelve in the NFC South in 2020, which was, which was dead last seven to nine in uh, 2019, which was tied for second uh, seven to nine, which was tied again for second in 2018 and 10 and six, which was third in the NFC South in 2017. I say all that to say this, even though they're not too far away from actually competing in that division, they're still far enough to the point where they they have time to to really systematically perform a rebuild, and this is why I was talking about you know the difference between Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. So, for argument's sake, since I went ahead and, and reneged on my pick back with the, with Carolina, and 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 decided with Kenny Pickett for them because they need to win now. Atlanta's not in a win now situation. They're they're completely content with building the roster as they need to, because at worst, the goat is not going to be playing for no more than a year, possibly two more years with Tampa, and then he's going to call it quits again. By that time, that means they have basically one to two years to actually build this roster up and then be able to really truly compete. So they have time on their hands. So this is a very good spot. For somebody like a Malik Willis to sit back and relax, or if you don't think that you that 
this guy is going to be any good long term, then you take you bite the bullet. You take a receiver because right now you don't have a receiver and then you build towards getting a quarterback next year, which is a strong possibility. They could very well be back in the top five again next year. But you got this kid who not only played at a small school, but he also is a, an Atlanta native. What better? I mean, they missed opportunity with getting uh, Justin Fields when they had the opportunity to draft him last year, and they decided not to. They they kept everybody intact. They got Kyle Pitts, okay. So, and Marcus Mariota is not is not going to be the type of guy who's going to be you know all of a sudden the lights going to turn on. He's going to become a perennial All Pro. So he's de definitely a bridge into whatever that next quarterback is. So, so you can go two different routes. You can go a wide receiver to give. Mariota another weapon to throw to and hopefully you know he'll just do just enough to get you in the top five next year so you can draft the quarterback like maybe a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud or you take this kid out of liberty but here's the thing you need to know what direction you're going to in the future and if this kid is going to be good enough to take you there because if he's not if you have any doubts on this you then don't take him but I mean he has the traits I think that's that's necessary. And I think he, especially at Liberty, he had to be the entire offense. Can't, I, nobody can name me one other starter that was on Liberty's offense that that played with him while he was there. Oh, Jerome and Anderson. Anybody, Jerome, Jerome Anderson. Jerome Anderson. Very good. <laughs> no, I, I totally made that up. That's not real. <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> I don't know who Jerome Anderson is. y'all. I just pulled that name. No. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, I actually like this fit a lot better for Malik Willis. As you said, he is an Atlanta native and he's a mobile quarterback, which Marcus Mariota is as well. So if you're going to be running an offense that is uh, favorable towards Marcus Mariota's skill set, then it makes sense to have Malik Willis learning from Marcus Mariota and, and in that same kind of uh, situation. And you know that he's going to see some playing time because Marcus Mariota can't stay healthy. So no. Malik Willis will get on the field next year if he were to get drafted there. Uh, and then also, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, I talked about uh, David Tepper being a, uh, the owner of the Panthers, the uh, Carolina Panthers, not the Pitt Panthers. Interestingly to note, David Tepper, a Pittsburgh native, attended Car Carnegie Mellon, actually. And so oh, really? it seems, mm. as, yeah, so one might think that he may end up that Kenny Pickett may end up going from a Pitt Panther to a Carolina Panther because of that Pittsburgh connection. It's, it's possible. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, let me, so let me, let me, point. let me pin you down really quickly on this then. And we've got to wrap up okay. here shortly, but so you said Malik Willis or receiver. Well, who's the best receiver in this draft? And is that receiver the same receiver that you think would be the best fit for the Falcons? Yes. Only because the, to me, the best receiver in this draft is Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. And I think where you have some wide receivers that are, bit, or, or can be more prosperous in a certain type of offensive system, I think Garrett Wilson, no matter what offensive system you have, is going to flourish. And I think with him, uh, he's going to, he is going to be a, a safety valve for any quarterback that on a team that he's drafted to, he's going to, he's going to be, he is going to be their favorite, uh, their favorite target because he, 
he does a lot of things well, and I'll get to it when 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 he when that time comes. But he he makes things so much easier for a quarterback that you know all you got to do as a quarterback is just get the get him the football, get the football out there. He's going to get it. He's going to make a play for it. So. I, I mean, that would be the route if if I'm not going quarterback, that's the route that I would go because right now you your your receiver, your receiving core is very thin, but you also are very deep at receiver in this draft. So you don't have to go ahead and get one in the top 10. You can wait till the second round and get one, and you can still provide some type of a uh, punch from the wide receiver core um later on in the draft and not necessarily with a first round pick. So well, um, I, it was a joy. As an Ohio State fan, it was an absolute joy to watch Garrett Wilson at Ohio State and Chris Olave, for that matter. Uh, yeah. The two of them together it was, were just uh, dynamic to watch. Jamison Williams was in that same room, receiver room at one point, which is hard That's to believe, crazy. that he got pushed That's out crazy. and then went to Bama and then became arguably the, arguably the best receiver in the class. Um, right. So, So officially, on the record... Your pick for Atlanta, is it Wils- Willis or is it Garrett Wilson? I think because of the need, I'm going to go with Willis. But I wouldn't be surprised if they went if they went the Garrett Wilson route. I would okay. not be surprised at all. Well, um, that brings us to the ninth pick, the Seattle Seahawks, who got this pick from the Denver Broncos in the Russell Wilson trade. Seattle was 7-10 and 10 last year. They also have picks 40 and 41. Uh, this is a team in transition for sure. Uh, when you trade Russell Wilson, who meant so much to the franchise and so much to the culture of that locker room on offense, and then you let Bobby Wagner walk, who meant so much to the defense, right? You're, you're going to be a different team. Pretty much, Bobby Wagner is basically the last holdover from the Legion of Boom years, uh, just about as far as I can recall. Anyway, I think everybody else, everybody else, I think is gone from that from that team at that time. So, um, you know. Pete Carroll somehow still hanging on. I don't know how he's still there and everybody else is out the door. I would have, I would have lost that bet. If you would have told me, you know, do I think Pete Carroll is going to outlast Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, uh, you know, uh, 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 Bobby Wagner, all these other dudes. I would not have seen that coming, but here we are. They still have pieces on offense. They haven't done a complete fire sale. They still have Noah Fant who came over in the Wilson trade. They still have, of course, Tyler Lockett, DJ, DK Metcalf, um, uh, Penny had a great qu- uh, end of the year, l- last quarter of the season at running back. There's still some pieces there. There's still have Jamal Adams on defense. What 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 do you think Seattle should do here? So Seattle, in my opinion, they the one of the main reasons why they, trade for Baker. <laughs> that they just might trade for Baker. You, you that may be the team. They talk about Carolina, but uh, Seattle may be the team. But they're not. They're not giving up. They're not giving up a whole bunch for Baker Mayfield. They'll probably wait till like day two or three to to, to trade for him, and they're not giving up very much for him. And I think I think the Browns know that. So, uh, with that being said, regardless of who they ever they have a quarterback, whether it's him, whether it's Baker, whether it's Drew Locke, or whoever they have a quarterback, uh, they're gonna need protection because. Out of 32 teams, I think um, Seattle's offensive line was ranked in the bottom third, like either 30th, 31st, or 32nd, somewhere in there. Um, They're not very good. So they need to address the offensive line. And to me, there's no better prospect at the offensive line um, at this point 
than Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama. I mean, the kid's 6'7 and 315 pounds and is athletic as hell. I, to me, you really can't go wrong with, with getting a guy like that. So that's where I'm going. You want to know how bad the Seattle Seahawks offensive line has been the last several years? Their line has been <laughs> so bad that Russell Wilson, who is like objectively the nicest dude ever in the NFL, and maybe right. some people think it's an act, but whatever right. it is, he's like the nicest dude there is. He calls out the offensive line. That's how trash they've been. Like y'all, you get that's like that's like getting Ned Flanders to cuss you out or something like that. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how trash their line has been. Like even Russell Wilson's like, all right, y'all gotta stop. Like publicly calling them out. Um, right. So Neil can't fault them. There's 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 an Alabama tackle that's gonna go in the top ten every year, just about. So pretty um, much, you know, I, I can't uh, I can't say that that's a bad pick for Seattle. They need help on the line desperately. It's not sexy, but it has to happen. Uh, and then with the 10th pick, the Jets, who we talked about already. This is from the Jamal Adams deal. Uh, the Jets got this pick from Seattle. So now the Jets with the fourth pick, you already have them taking Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. They also have the 35th and 38th pick in round two. What do you have them doing with the 10th pick? They got to get weapons for this for this kid that they have. I mean, Zach Wilson, um, he showed flashes. Like you said, but I mean, take a look at his receiving core, man. It's it's really not very good. And to me, it, like I said, you you better off getting a guy who, in my opinion, is the best receiver in this draft. Garrett Wilson, to me, is the pick for the Jets, and for a lot of different reasons. But the main thing that I was like I was saying before, he's going to make whoever is the quarterback that he of the team that he goes to better. Quite frankly and honestly, when it, before the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson and we still even we we had that bum Baker Mayfield still there. I was looking at if if he could somehow slip another Baker straight or the or the Browns could <laughs> could inch their way up a couple of spots just so they can get Garrett Wilson. Because to me, uh, his bet his his best quality as a wide receiver is his ability to separate. I mean, one of the things that Brown, like the Browns like really drove me crazy about with their wide receiving core is their lack of separation. This kid here, no matter and, – and it starts with his route running. He is a very exceptional – him and Olave are very great at, at running routes. Their route running ability causes initial separation to the point where they don't necessarily have to have a bunch of speed. It's just more about instinct and just and just learning how to – the nuances of route running to the point where they're automatically open. They're always open. And he's going to be um, Zach Wilson's favorite target. So, I mean, it, it makes sense when you have a young quarterback to have a young receiver that, that's there to grow up with them. That would be the route that I would take if I was a Jet. So Garrett Wilson at 10 for the New York Jets would be my selection. The Jets did have Elijah Moore there, and he he had a very solid rookie campaign alongside Zach Wilson. So I would say they have at least one piece there as a pass catcher. Um, right. And so uh, now they, have, they also have Corey Davis, who's been a bit of a disappointment in the NFL. At least he has some pedigree about him, though. He was a high right. draft pick. So, I mean, it's, it's not all. The cover's not completely bare in New York, again, on the offensive side of the ball. And then... You add Garrett Wilson to that, and yeah, it's 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 not it's not a bad look at all. 
this is a receiver rich draft. And if you can get Garrett Wilson, then you're doing pretty well for yourself. So to recap the Mark draft for 2022 with the first pick, the Jags Mark would take Aiden Hutchinson. Second, the lions would take Kayvon Thibodeau. Third, the Texans would take sauce Gardner. Fourth, the jets would take Trevon Walker. Fifth, the giants would take Ikem Akonwu, Ekwanu, uh, excuse me. Uh, the sixth pick would be the Panthers. And I basically talked you out of Malik Willis. <laughs> it, it, it's now Kenny Pickett, I guess, going to the, yes. to the Panthers. Yes, it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jermaine Johnson, the seventh pick from uh, Florida State to the Giants there. And number eight, Malik Willis could go uh, to the Falcons. It sounds like that's, that's the spot, the landing spot for him. Uh, mm-hmm. Now that he's not going to Carolina. Uh, <laughs> number nine is um, Neil. Uh, excuse me, I'm blanking on the first Evan name. Neal. Yes, Evan Neal. Evan Neal. Thank you uh, from Alabama. At number nine to the Seahawks, and number ten, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State to the Jets. Uh, so it looks like all things considered, we have two quarterbacks. We have a bunch of defensive players. We got a couple of linemen, and we got a receiver in there. The Cleveland Browns do not have a first round pick because they decided to upgrade their quarterback by leaps and bounds. Thank God. Best move they could possibly do. I agree. It's going to be tricky trying to navigate whatever comes of Deshaun Watson in the next, uh, you know, few weeks. That there's some speculation that he might not face a suspension at all this year, and that if he is suspended, it'll be next season in 2023. Uh, so, I mean, we we'll have to wait and see. But the Browns do have the 44th pick in the second round. They also have the 78th pick and the 99th pick in the third round. That second, third round pick was a compensatory pick that they received. So yep. uh, what do you want to see the Browns do? This, the good news for the Browns is the positions that they probably are looking to draft most, would I would think, would be edge rusher to help out Miles Garrett and receiver yep. to help out Deshaun Watson and Amari Cooper. Uh, this is a very rich pass rusher and receiver draft. So knowing that, uh, at 44, what, what would you like to see them do? I, mean, I don't know if you have... Thoughts on 78 and 99, but at least at 44 mark in the second round, what would you want to see the Browns do with that pick? Or maybe they traded for Debo Samuel or something. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, that would be that would be interesting if they were to do I that. I don't think they got uh, the money to pull that but off. They don't, have, they don't have the cash really to do that. One of the problems, one of the problems is when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson, who you're or any quarterback that you're paying a boatload of money to. Um, it's going to limit you on what you can do free agency wise, trading wise, because you still have a salary cap that you still have to, you know, manage and you're already paying Amari Cooper X amount of money. So the, the, the quickest way or the best way or the most frugal way that you could, you could manage the cap would be to draft your wide receiving receiving core around him. Um, unless you can find, a uh, a, a, a veteran uh, that's not going to be asking for a ton of money that you can plug in and assist while you're getting these young kids up to, up to par. So receiver could definitely be a, a, a choice for them here. Um, I would, I wouldn't necessarily mind for them to trade back up into the first round late and try to get a wide receiver. Um, let's say like a Christian Watson from uh, North Car- North Dakota state, or if you are willing to wait the time that, that needs to be done, maybe uh, not necessarily with that 44 pick, but maybe in the in the third round, maybe like a guy like a uh, like a John Mechie 
from Alabama. Uh, maybe you could look at him, even though he's injured. But you can you could select him because you have two third round picks. One of the cool things about a compensatory uh, pick is the fact that you can't trade it. No matter what you what you want to do, that pick is yours. So they can't trade that pick, um, even if they wanted to. Um, so they have to take a player there. So I mean, that that could be a possibility they could get somebody like him or uh, David uh, Ajabo from Michigan, uh, who injured himself on in their pro day, um, as a possibility to a defensive end. Um, there's other different things that they could possibly do to try to to beef up those areas. But like you said, um, wide receiver, defensive end, um, maybe. Uh, another offensive lineman, uh, linebacker. Don't count this out either uh, because you you was able to keep Kareem Hunt on the on the roster again. Um, and uh, the other kid's name, I, all of a sudden, I, it just escaped my mind, the other running back that they had. Uh, Nick Chubb? DeAndre Johnson. <laughs> yeah, oh, you, you, he meant, meant DeAndre Johnson, yeah. Yeah, so you brought him back. You brought him back for another year, but – I have a feeling this will be the last year that both of those guys will be on the roster. So you may have to look at running back as well to try to, to try to uh, replace. Um, there's up, there's a couple running backs that I'm looking at. Uh, Zamir white from Georgia is, is a guy that I'll be looking at um, in uh, in the later rounds, like the, maybe with the, either the compensatory pick in the, at the end of the third or a fifth round pick. Maybe you trade up into the fourth round to get something like that. Um, but there's there's other things that you could do to try to uh, bolster up the roster. Um, but those are the areas that I'm looking at. And do not be surprised. Do not be surprised if the Browns uh, don't draft a kicker. Oh, they need to do that. They need to do. That. I think they need to. Without question, they need to be. Uh, but do not be surprised because they because they're 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 special teams. I'm glad that they address the special teams from the kick and punt returner type of situation and then getting a punter and Chase McLaughlin while he was he was decent for first half of the year when he was pressured to make kicks he started sailing them all over the place he's not the long term answer either so it's best for them to go ahead and just draft the guy um but those are the areas that I would look at and quite honestly they, if push come to shove you twist their arm they're probably only going to need like four guys they're not going to be able to come into camp with seven, seven to eight rookies. So with that being said, maybe three to four guys. Um, so it, it, it gives them opportunity to go up for trades and things of that nature to try to limit the amount of picks that they have so they can bring bring those type of players into their roster because they're they're pretty deep in certain areas. But the areas that they're not deep are areas that they're look they're, they're, that we just mentioned. Um, Chris Hubbard coming back was also a big key because. Um, you don't know what you're getting with Jack Conklin, and that, and I quite honestly, this will probably be his last year with the Browns as well. So you're probably going to need to, and you don't know what you have with James Hudson. So you need to start looking at replacements along the offensive line as well. So there's a whole bunch of different things that you could do if you're the Browns, but those are the areas I would concentrate on the most. Yeah, well so, said. They already they already uh, moved on from J.C. Treader at center. It was like correct. Nick Harris is going to be starting at center going forward, and you know. I wanted to laugh at you for saying that the Browns may trade back into the first round. I really don't see that as a possibility, but I can't really laugh at you or, or laugh it off because the Browns are in win-now mode, man. They went all in, and they know 
They took a PR hit with the Deshaun Watson trade. And the only way to clear their name as an organization for that is to win. In a, in, a, in a lot of respects, is to win. And they know that. And I talked all about that on the last uh, Hip Hop Sports Report podcast that if they win, as soon as he wins and starts throwing touchdowns on Sunday, nobody's really going to care about this other stuff. It's, it's going to be secondary. Nope. Like it or not. I mean, it's just the way it goes. And so all the, the Browns are going to need to do all they can to ensure that this is a winning football team as soon as possible. And if Deshaun Watson is play, playing next season and, and if come August, if he's under center come September, then they want to have the absolute best possible team around him. And that would not mean sitting back necessarily and waiting on a bunch of picks to come through or, you know, just sitting on their hands on draft day. It would mean being aggressive on draft day, going up and getting their guy, whoever that guy might be. And so, yeah, in a, in a receiver-rich draft, there's definitely a scenario in which they may trade back. Maybe trade up. That Maybe not trade up into the first round, but they'll trade up. They they could trade up, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yes. And, and it, it would not be that hard to believe. They did do it last year as well, to, and they landed Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, and that turned out to be a great move. So a home run, basically. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah. So, well, that'll wrap it for the 2022 Mark Draft, the NFL edition. Mark, thank you for joining us again. You're always so generous with your time, man. Um, Holla at your boy Jay Hicks on Twitter, Facebook. Let us know what you think about the draft, who you want to see your team take, who you think is trash. If you want to throw some strays at Baker Mayfield, be my guest. Uh, (laughs) It's that kind of party here. Uh, It's the Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast. Jay Hicks signing off. We'll talk to you all soon. Peace. Did you happen to see that? That uh, I don't know. I'm quite sure you saw it already, but uh, that last tweet that I sent you guys about about Baker Mayfield, Baker statue. Huh? Yeah, that was that was funny. That was very funny, actually. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was. I I enjoyed reading that. Um, <laughs> that is, yeah, her wow. shoulders probably are. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in in defense of of, of the person who made the statue, I think statues are really hard to make look like the person because how many statues do you see where it looks nothing like the person that it's supposed to look like it seems like that's it's what happens more than most you think yeah it seems like yeah, it happens most of the time but like, that like, this, this statue is really bad it's like this dude look like straight up the the t-1000 off of terminator 2 he don't even look nothing like baker at all period. i also don't understand why they had him striking the heisman pose like right. he, never, he never struck that pose and he's not a good runner of the football so it's just like like, it's like you're wow. highlighting a part of his game that sucks anyway. Like, like why not show him throwing the ball? And also, we probably should have talked about this on the podcast. Also, why, why is it – why does he get a statue and Kyler Murray doesn't? Good question. Didn't, didn't they do the same you – know, they basically did the same thing at Oklahoma, right? Like they the exact same thing. Threw, yeah. threw a bunch of yards, threw a bunch of touchdowns, won a Heisman yep. Trophy, went number one in the draft, didn't do shit yep. in the playoff. Yeah. That's – that's basically the same thing in consecutive years, same except thing. Kyler's year was better than Baker's was. So, like, why is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess you got to say that for the podcast, but uh, yeah, I, okay. I guess I guess we'll start recording at this point. All right. <laughs> <laughs>